0: Welcome to the Redemption Hill podcast, addressing current topics practically through a gospel-centered lens and identity. I'm Brandon Mercer. This is Charles Fernandez and Matt Mears. We are elders here at Redemption Hill Church. And over the last handful of weeks, we've been talking about doctrine, essential beliefs of the Christian church. And now what we want to do, addressing some of uh, gospel and the culture mm-hmm. and kind of looking in that direction and and desiring to walk through a book of scripture together, uh, we've decided to walk through the book of Romans, uh, allowing uh, the scriptures to kind of give us a lens in which to see and, and interpret the culture that we live in and how we should be seeing things and interpreting things mm-hmm. in a way that is life-giving, in a way that is redeeming. Uh, in a way that reveals uh, and and allows us to live in a community of God in the way that we were created to and reveals the kingdom of God as he has called us to as his people. Uh, And So today we're going to actually walk through and kind of set the foundation for um, the next several weeks that we'll be walking through the book of Romans together. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 1 uh, verses 1 through 17 and it won't be kind of this Uh, Just look verse by verse uh, through the text, but kind of discussing some of the topics in the text through a gospel-centered lens uh, in a practical way as we seek to do here on the podcast. And so I'm going to do something that we don't typically do, uh, but I want us to to have a context in which we are setting this conversation. And so I'm going to read for us Romans chapter 1. 1 through 17. And so God's word says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the holy scriptures concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead jesus christ our lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations including you who are called to belong to jesus christ to all those in rome who are loved by god and called to be saints grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ first i thank my god through jesus christ for all of you because of your faith proclaimed in all the world for god is my witness whom i serve with my spirit in the Gospel of his Son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may be at last uh, I may at last succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I have not <clears throat> want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am, un- I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so we want to discuss this together. Today and take out some of the, the core themes and begin to set a foundation for how the gospel speaks to us in our culture today. And if you're familiar with the book of Romans, you know that uh, the, the book that Paul writes to uh, to Rome has a, a lot to say mm-hmm. about culture and the way that the gospel affects it and how we should live in culture in a gospel-centered way and so here's the first thing that kind of sticks out to me guys when i see this that i think has a cultural implication for us today and it's really in these first couple of words as paul is describing himself and who, he's, who he is it says in verse 1 paul a servant of christ jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of god and i want us to talk just for a few minutes on that word servant why is that important? Why does Paul describe himself that way? Because this is not something I think that we typically desire the concept of today. We want to be served. Uh, and we think it gives us kind of more value and worth if we are served and mm-hmm. um, and we're kind of put on a pedestal. And so serving seems like something we, we aren't really that attracted to. Mm-hmm. But I think we are very attracted to the outcome of what it would look like if we were a people who classified ourselves as servants Um, but there's something that has to happen in us to understand what Paul means here when he calls himself a servant Mm. so what's the what's the importance of that and what is the implication of that
1: yeah, I mean, I think the the first thing that comes to my mind is is you know that that word, right? So so if you think about what the word servant means, you know the the word that's used there means one who is subject to the will and wholly uh, at the disposal of another. So it is someone who is primarily um, desiring, right, with everything that they are to be about someone else. Mm-hmm. And I think that what you were talking about, Brandon, is, is very true, that in our culture, we do have sort of a a, a self-centered culture in many ways, right? We, we tend to look out for ourselves. Hey, look out for number one, do what's best for you, do what you think is right. And so um, when when God confronts us here, right, right off the bat with this word uh, servant, um, then it, it really does kind of press against our cultural understanding of being others centered. And I think that that really does drive at the heart of what it means to be a gospel centered person is that I'm not centered on just my will and my desire and my, you know, the things that I would do, but it has to be this fundamental switch of, Hey, what, what would God have here? What would, what would, What would it mean to serve God in, you know, in every aspect of my life, in every area, in every way, in the way that I think, in the way that I speak, in the way that I act, in the way that I, you know, conduct myself, what I do with my money. And so I think that it does kind of immediately that word draws to my mind, you know, that that if I'm going to be a servant, if I desire to be a servant, then there has to be a fundamental switch in my heart from, being it being ultimately about me to being ultimately about someone or something else. And in the gospel, we find that that all that we have actually desired, right, everything that I've done to make something of myself has been fulfilled in Christ. So now I have an identity, I have a worth, I have a value, not one that I have gained for myself, but one that has been given to me by the one that I serve. And so we really now, there is this fundamental shift in the gospel. So if a person comes to faith in Christ, there is a fundamental shift that happens in our hearts to where now it is not my will, but thy will be done, right? Which is what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. And, and that really is, is at the heart, I think, of what Paul is getting after right here at the very beginning by calling himself a servant of Christ.
2: Yeah, I agree. And, you know, by starting off, you know, by talking about himself as a servant, Paul is acknowledging what has been a human condition problem from the time of Adam and Eve's fall in the garden, Mm. which was them throwing off, uh, finding their satisfaction in God the Father and being content in serving God through worship and and deriving their satisfaction and their identity uh, through worship of God. And that's been the issue with humankind ever since. And so ever since then, if you want to, you know, give a, I guess, a broad definition to, to sin nature, the sin nature is, is self-absorption, self-focus, self-definition, um, self-promotion, um, and, and these kinds of things. So when Paul classifies himself a servant, here you have a guy who has, as he writes in other epistles, every, every reason to boast. Mm. And the Roman Church knows that he, he he could boast about any any number of things. He could boast about his learning, his education. He can boast about the ministries uh, that he that he's had. Uh, uh, he can he could boast about his position in the church. Any of these number of things, which would be exalting of self, but he he says no. But I'm a servant of Christ Jesus, and and so he say I'm serving the one who gave us the greatest example of servanthood. Mm-hmm. You know, so if 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 Christ who humbled himself to put off all the glories and rights and uh, and honors that he had as part of the Godhead uh, and who humbles himself to be a servant. Jesus says that the Son of Man didn't come uh, to be served, but to serve. Then uh, Paul is saying, I'm identifying with that. And he's the one, Paul later says in this uh, few verses down, who's risen from the dead. He classifies himself as a servant. So therefore, that's my identity as well, um, and that there is real, real power in that. Yeah. And so, I think from the very get go, he's you know he he addresses the common you know the the biggest issue we have in mankind, and we could use a little reminder in this day and age yeah. that a a, a a little servanthood who would go a long way in our culture right now, right. A, little, a little kindness, a, a little humility, and we're seeing right now when you have a culture that is bent on uh, power, that's bent on promotion of self that's been on my my needs ahead of your needs mm-hmm. we're we're sort of reaping the fruit of that in our culture right now in some very real ways and so uh, uh this example of, of servanthood if we can grasp that mm-hmm. and understand that uh that doesn't mean that i'm subservient or i'm in bondage but there's great freedom and satisfaction in that uh then uh we could see a lot of great things that god could do through that
0: yeah i think that's good i think I want to ask you guys this question in this way, and I think you've <clears throat> given very good answers to it. Mm. Uh, but I want us to kind of couch it in this sense: um, Why should I? So, so Matt and Charles, you guys have both explained how, how to be a servant, mm. and that we could use a servanthood character and nature out of who we are in Christ in our culture. That's one thing that is that is very much lacking we all desire love compassion unity but service isn't there and so therefore we're just taking um, which causes disunity and all the um, the unloving activity that we see today. So why should we want to be a servant? Mm. So like, okay, Christ might allow me to, to be a servant. He might tell me to in his law to serve. And so if we're looking at it from a relig- religious perspective or even a gospel-centered perspective, we see that we become servants in Christ. Why should we want that? Mm. And I guess the, the real question that I'm trying to get to here is, how is servanthood and, and, a, and a need for it an apologetic for God out of our own desires so like when I look out into the world and I see that man I want to see love I want to see unity I want to see compassion I want us to love and serve one another then then why do I want that and how does that reveal to me the fact that I do want it but we don't see it um that that God has created me for for something more that I don't have in and of myself
1: yeah. I mean, I, I would say that, um, you know, the the desire to be a servant, I, I think we've said before on the podcast that there we're, we're all servants, right? Our, our nature is to serve. Uh, either you're going to serve God or you're going to serve something else. And so I think that that is kind of built into who we are. I think that there is a very real um, aspect of our being made in the image of God. That, that plays into this. Um, as we are uh, created, uh, God has created us for a purpose, and it is namely for His glory and for uh, the enjoyment of, of Him. And so I think that, you know, all of the things that you, were, you, you mentioned, the things that we desire, the things that we regard, I think those are good things. Those are good things that have been put into us by our Creator, and it is only in him that we find all those things right we the bible doesn't say that god is loving the bible says that god is love he is the very definition of love and therefore apart from him I, I don't understand what love truly is and so if I my desire is to be is to spread love or to share love or to be a loving person then it is going to lend itself not to my own definition of love but to the definition that was put into me by my creator. And so that's gonna that's gonna lead to a more fulfilling understanding not only of the categories of of what God has said are good and right and true but also the, f- the fulfillment of all of those all of those characteristics so i may not even understand what justice is until i come into this relationship with christ and now now therefore i love justice not because of something that i've discovered or experienced and I think in our culture we try to think the experience is king, right? If I've been through something, then that is my, then that is that is the that is the truth, right? And and I think that so often we uh, we we tend to make experience everything, and and I think it simply is is that we uh, we can't experience everything. We we have to take someone's word for it on certain things, and I can't rely on myself to figure everything out. Uh, or at least I shouldn't, right? And, and so uh, when we come to our God, we say, God, you know better than I do what love is because you are love. I desire to be loving, so I'm going to give myself to you in such a way that it is honoring to you and loving to others around me. And so I think it really changes the conversation as we begin to think about, uh, you know, why should I be loving? I should be loving because God is loving, mm-hmm. uh, and and I should find my definition for love in Him and not just in something that I've created for myself.
2: Yeah, I mean, apart from apart from faith in Christ and belief in God, there is no reason why as a human being you would desire to be a servant. And even so, what I'm not saying is that people who don't have faith uh, or who don't believe in Jesus don't uh, express desire to serve. Mm. But the only reason why that desire to serve is there is something that Matt hit upon. It has to do with, once again, our identity back uh, back to God. And so the scripture says that eternity has been put into the heart of, of everybody. We all know that every human being on the planet is a image bearer of, of God. And, and so there's that there is that. Um, grace from God that's upon everyone. And so the only, uh, only reason why someone outside of faith um, uh, would even desire to help their fellow man or to be a servant is because of the, that's the image of God on the inside of them, the eternity that God's put in their heart uh, coming out. Because if, it's, if, if we're just totally ev- evolutionary beings and we're just a product of chemical reactions and science and all that, there's no moral value in that. Mm. Um, so, uh, uh, so I agree in in and think what you said, Matt, was was really good. I mean, so the desire to be a servant, or why should I desire to be a servant, is its roots in that is because it's reflection of the one who's created you. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. Paul, when he's saying, "I'm a servant of Christ Jesus," he's making an identity statement. He's also making a worldview statement. Mm-hmm. And 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 basically, what he's saying is that. The reason why I have this identity in this worldview is because the one who was sent from God, who proved that he was sent by power of the Holy Spirit, uh, he was raised from the dead. That's why we should identify with that, because he is the king who came down, proving that by his resurrection. And he said of himself that he's a servant. Mm -hmm. And like you said, uh, God isn't loving. God is love Mm -hmm. and love by definition is other oriented. Mm -hmm. And. um, so anyway, yeah, that was really good statement, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's really good and, and everything that needed to be said was said. But I, I didn't want us just to kind of gloss over that, right. that statement because I think the way that Paul describes himself is a foundational reality of finding our identity in God, which mm-hmm. we were created to have identity in. Yeah. We were created to find our value and our worth in. And we were created to serve, uh, to worship and to serve him and, and to worship or to serve because of our worship of him, one another. And we all still desire that because we were created in the image of God, but because of our rebellion against God, um, we still desire it, but we don't know how to actually pursue it, how to gain it. Um, so there's this weird longing in us for this, uh, but we don't actually know how to to get it. And so I think Paul describing himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, for the gospel, I think is something that every single one of us, it's a description all of us ultimately long for in our culture. Yeah. But we are unable to find. Yeah. Right. And and so a part of the issue that we have today is that we were, as you said, were made to worship and serve God. But in our sin, we seek to be worshiped and to be served and and that creates the tension between what we want to see in our community and what we factually see in our communities we image god but we are not whole in him and so therefore in that separation of not having community with him we long to see good things uh we long to uh to desire uh, to even serve not as followers of Christ, but even that good deed is done to gain something that we already aren't. Right. So it's not an expression of love. It's to gain something to, that we're using whatever we're doing something good for to get something we don't already have. Yeah. And so all of it is out of a selfish nature outside of Christ. And so this this notion of serving and loving and caring, we all want it. But we can't actually experience it in our sin and rebellion against God until we have experienced God serving us and us seeing and understanding how he has served us and how he has provided for us and how he has done all the work for us to have salvation Mm -hmm. that we might be saved by his grace and therefore, Matt, as you said, be made whole in him. And we are when we are whole in him, then we have nothing left to gain and we have everything to give. Mm. And And now we can become servants. And so uh, we cannot be full in him. Mm. And then another thing that you said is we we don't understand how to do it. And that's also true because we can gain tons of knowledge in the world. But until we have the foundation for who we are and why we're here and what we're created to do, then we cannot have wisdom mm-hmm. to process all of the knowledge. Right. And so, the foundational truth of Jesus Christ gives us wisdom. Um, it allows us to know why we are here. It allows us to serve uh, with all of the knowledge that we have gained and and all that we, uh, the gifts that God has given us yeah. on earth. And so, it is critical in our desire to see everything we long for in the community, that we understand that that can only be brought to us by the work of God in our lives, Mm -hmm. that we are made satisfied and whole in Him, Mm -hmm. finding community with Him, finding identity in Him, finding purpose in Him, and therefore we don't have to gain anything. We have everything by His grace, and we can become people who serve, people who love, Um, and we can define ourselves, as Paul does here, a servant of God and and therefore satisfied Mm. right and a lot of times i think we don't like the word servant because it it, it's a giving but it's Mm. not a receiving Mm. but when you understand that you've already received everything and that no matter how much you give out of it and actually when we find ourselves in christ the more we give the more we understand all that we've gained right and so we actually feel more full as we give yeah uh, and, and it's just this beautiful reality of the gospel. And so I just wanted us to kind of understand yeah. as we move into kind of the answer here, as Paul does, that, that there is something happening in our soul that wants to see service. Yeah. And, and, and oftentimes we demonstrate that in our rebellion of, of desiring to be served uh, and desiring to, to, to have and gain everything. Uh, but we want to see service in our community. And, and the only way that that actually happens is to be found in Christ and to be fully satisfied in him, which is where Paul goes right. immediately after that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so right here in the next verses, he says, which God promised, mm-hmm. right? And so mm-hmm. I've been set apart as a servant. So that's describing who he is to the gospel of God, which he promised would come, the good news, mm-hmm. right? That we can be saved in him beforehand through the prophets of the Holy Scripture. So he, he says, okay, everything has already been promised. Mm-hmm. And then he describes who Jesus is. So here's, here's my question. How do we know what the answer is? And I know we've described a little bit about who we are in Christ. But how do we know that we can trust that Jesus is what we are looking for and the answer to everything and everything that we were created to find life in? How do we know that? What is the answer? I think we've already answered that to be Jesus. How do we know that we can trust He's the answer?
2: Well, what Paul lays out here, when I look at this, is um, he very quickly to the Romans he's given a um, uh, a very short kind of uh, uh, establishment of okay, this is this is why I trust in this, and he, you know he says it right there. Well, because he gives. These things. Uh, so Paul, the servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel, the gospel promised beforehand by the prophets. And so he's he's winding back his belief into into history. He winds it back in first into the uh, the historical tradition of uh, of Israel and in uh, of uh, of their faith, the the prophets. Then. He says in verse three, he talks about Christ being a descendant of David. So then he roots it in in an actual historical figure as well. Um, and then, you know, he throws down the trump card, which is uh, Christ, who by the power of the Holy Spirit was raised from the dead. Um, so I'm not sure if that's the answer you necessarily were looking for. But Amen. when I see those three things, I see Paul uh, because Paul hasn't visited. He hasn't been to Rome yet. They know him by reputation. He knows them by reputation of the faith that uh, that they have been proclaiming. He talks about that there later on in the chapter because uh, about the report of their faith is going all over the place. So he desires desires to see them. But it's almost there in those uh, verses uh, two, three uh, and four. um, Paul saying, hey, I believe this. This my identity is in this. My worldview is in this. and, And this is the reason why because it was told beforehand from a spiritual standpoint by prophets, from a historical standpoint is validated by Christ being a descendant of David. But then most of all, by the fact, by the power of the
1: Holy Spirit, he confirms all these things by raising him from the dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that, you know, and, and there's some really good uh, resources, you know, thinking talking about the reasonability of our faith in God. Like we, we serve a God, not of chaos, but a God of order, right? And a God who uh, you know, is, is, has put things together in a particular way. And I think for us is, is that, you know, this is not random. And I think that's what Paul's talking about, right? He's saying that this is reasonable that if we exist, then we exist because there, there has to be something that happened in order for us to be here. Mm-hmm. And so I know he's not making it necessarily a philosophical argument here, but like there is an argument to be made that that if we are here, we were put here for by some right. by some by some mechanism. Right. Mm-hmm. And so. If we exist, then there has to be a a reason why we exist, or a primary mover, if you will. And so I think for Paul, he's saying this goes way further back all the way to the creation, right? So when you start talking about that God has created, and then what does God do? He he covenants, he he makes a a commitment to his people, and and it's ultimately a commitment to himself that he would be faithful and that he would do what he said he was going to do. And that 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 has been borne out over and over and over again through the Old Testament. And so you'll see Paul referencing a lot back to the Old Testament saying, look at what happened with Abraham. Look at what happened to me. He Mm -hmm. talks about Jesus being the the second Adam, right? And so it's the idea that we are, uh, that there was creation, that, that we're here because God has put us here. And the reason now that he exists is to be a servant and an apostle of Christ. And so, um, it speaks to the fact that God is not random; that God has a purpose and a plan, and that reasonableness is is you know Paul has staked his life on. I think for each of us in Christ, we also stake our life on that 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 our faith is not in vain; that that it is that it is reasonable for us to believe that um, that there is a God who loves and has served us uh, by sending His one and only Son. And so it really does begin to kind of change the change the equation for us on okay yeah like why should i believe versus just not believing and, and I know Brandon, like you, you, uh, you have so much knowledge on, on the philosophy of, of belief and on things like that. And so, I mean, I, I'm going to toss it to you because I mean, I think that there's some really interesting things. So I'll throw back to you. So why should we, I mean, why should somebody who's watching this like care about believing or about, you know, believing what this, this book says, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, um, I was hoping you guys would have the right answers, um, <laughs> But I, I, what, what I kind of see in this is is just like we have this, this longing to see a servanthood in our community, but a, but each of us are coming at this desire for servanthood from a selfish ambition, mm-hmm. because we need to gain something that we don't already have. We're all trying to fulfill ourselves and find something that's lacking, um, but we're created in the image of God, and therefore we are created to serve and. Uh, and worship him and be satisfied fully in him that we can serve without having to gain. I think then Paul goes into the answer for how we find. I know we talked about Jesus out of necessity when we were talking about servanthood, um, because that's how Paul is defined as a servant. And so he gives this, this Switching of his character and everything we are naturally by defining himself as a servant. Mm-hmm. But he begins to define what all of us long for and how we actually begin to re- see the kingdom we want on earth uh, that ultimately we know is God's in heaven. And, and And here I think he starts giving us the answer, and I love how he does it. Because I think all of us also naturally desire to predict the future, and we constantly try to. And so in everything that we do, we're trying to predict what will this lead to what will tomorrow look like what will these decisions be and we see it all around us even today right we're trying to predict what the future will be if so-and-so wins the election or so-and-so wins the election what will the prediction be for uh for the pandemic that we're in and 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 all of us are trying to just figure things out and predict what will happen so that we can make wise decisions now Mm -hmm. so we're all trying to use our knowledge the best we can to be wise Mm. But we've already said, we can't actually have the servant heart we long for outside of Christ. We can't actually have the foundation of wisdom to discern all the knowledge. And all of us want to predict what's coming, but none of us can. Mm-hmm. And Paul goes, hey, if you, want to be, if you want to be all that you long for, it starts with Christ. And the answer for everything that you're looking for in the future is in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so right here, we see that he says, he goes back to saying, well, none of us can predict the future, but God already has. And so we see all throughout the Old Testament, thousand years before uh, Christ was born, predictions of his coming, his death, 700 years in Isaiah before his coming and his death, uh, and all throughout the New Testament, we, Old Testament, we see the predictions of Jesus coming, and then he comes, right? So he fulfills what he said was going to happen. So God is able to predict the future, and he does so, and he reveals that. He foretold that Jesus would be born, how he'd be born. He foretold how Jesus would live. He foretold how Jesus would die and that he would rise. And then Jesus comes and lives and dies and rises. Mm -hmm. So Paul's actually appealing to everybody on the death and resurrection, Mm -hmm. but pointing back to the reality that God already predicted that all of that would happen. Mm -hmm. And he has foretold that he will return again and make all things new. Mm -hmm. So, So now we can look back at the prophecies in the Old Testament. We can see that Jesus fulfilled all those things. Mm-hmm. We can see the church and all that the people of God are because of the resurrection of Christ. And there's really no other reason for the early church to explode the right. way that it did. And right. uh, We've talked about that before. And we can trust that God is in charge and in control and sovereign and, and providentially working and everything to bring about his end and it will happen because he has always been faithful before. Yeah. And he's accomplished everything. And so why wouldn't he come back and, and, and reign over his already victory? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think Paul lines it up this way to say, hey, in Christ, man, I've been made a servant of him to the gospel, the good news, to proclaim it to everyone. And I want you to know that this is the answer that God has already said it would happen. It happened. And everything he said will happen, will happen. And we can have great confidence in that, in that reality, um, that, that what he says is best for us.
2: Yeah. Which I think is Paul's passion um, that you see uh, playing out in all his other letters. I mean, Paul writes these letters for the establishment of that group of people in, in faith. And just like in modern times now, uh, back then, I mean, they're in maybe more so then, man. I mean, uh, uh, people love to debate philosophies and, and these kinds of things. That's the kind of culture that the, they're living in there. So, Paul is saying there's all these different philosophies, mm-hmm. but even uh, philosophers now you can uh, uh, read about, they'll talk about what is a valid worldview. And what a valid worldview uh, has to be able to explain is how did it all begin? Mm-hmm. How did it all go wrong? And um, can it be made right? And if so, uh, what will happen? And then what does that mean for, for the future? So the things you're talking about, Brandon. Yeah. And then, so Paul's introducing those elements here in the very beginning, and it is a letter. And so any good letter writer, when you have, you know, we all learned this, well, back in the day in elementary school, I don't know about when y'all went to school, they actually taught us how to write a letter. In the beginning of the letter, you in your opening paragraph, you talk about the things that you're gonna break down in the body of the letter. Mm-hmm. And so Paul begins introducing some things here that very quickly, as we get deeper into chapter one and further into the book, you begin to see him unpack those themes, yeah. and um, and it does center in the aspect of all of this roots back to creation. Yeah. Uh-huh. This is how God talked about it. Jesus fulfills it, and then here's the hope in the future of it, yeah. and we can rest of that, and 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 uh, we can rest in the work of God by grace, and in that grace, then we find you know our our satisfaction.
1: Well, I think even just what what. What we see in the next paragraph is that um, Paul's longing to go to Rome is an apologetic in and of itself. That he desires to build them up, to love them, to 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 bring about. You know, what does it say? So that I might I might come and proclaim and bear witness to what God is doing, and 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 just that in and of itself is a is 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 approving that he is who he says he is, because if he didn't care, then he wouldn't say, I've longed to come to you, but I've been prohibited to this point, but I, I believe that I will now be able to come to you. And it's just saying, it, it proves its own point. He proves his own point by saying, I want, I, this is who I am. And then the next thing says, how you know that I am who I say I am is because this is what I long to do. And then, and it's just incredible how God is. Uh, inspiring the word here to to make sense in, in even in itself, right? To begin to build the argument for itself, and uh, I, I just I love that it um, that that Paul here is showing his heart by saying that, uh, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. So there's this unity, there's this love, there's this genuine care for the people there. And that only can come by being a servant. So he said, he's a servant. And just in his letter, he's proving that he's a servant by loving and caring for all of the Roman church. And so I think it really does begin to bear itself out that, Hey, this guy is, is the real deal. He he really has been called by God. He really is being used of God, and these words are, are are true that he's that he's writing to the to the believers there. And he's not writing to a group of people he's met and hung with. Yeah. He hadn't been there yet. Right. This yeah. letter
2: goes in advance of, of him being able to be there. And Matt, like you're saying, I mean the words he's using there already shows a a um uh, a deep affection for this group of people. And you know I I thank God. I pray. Uh, I'm I feel obligated. I mean, these these are really strong relational words. And once again, the only reason why he feels like that is because of this attitude of a servant that's born in him yeah. that has given him the capacity to have this great love. But once again, it's not of himself. Right. It's because of who he serves and who he loves and who he worships.
0: Yeah, and I and I just love how he points to the answer being Jesus, that Jesus is the solution that we need for every problem that we have. He is the his action for us his work for us was enough his love is everything that we long for his redemption is everything that we're seeking for and then in him we are able to live the long the life that we long for right we'll be able to able to see uh the redeeming power of the gospel truth and i and i absolutely love and paul and uh charles you were just pointing towards this and he says that through him, we have received grace, yeah. right? And so it's all pointing back to him and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith. So everything we're doing is by the grace of God, for the sake of his glory, his name, mm-hmm. among all the nations. Mm-hmm. And and I think sometimes we might have this argument that like, well, yeah, I want to serve and I want to love and I want to have passion and community. Um, and I want to I want to see this change in the world that I long to be and I long to see and it, and it be And we kind of relate that in our heads to people who are just like us. Yeah. Yeah. So like oh, I'm nice. I'm kind mm-hmm. I'm I'm generous. I'm loving and it and it's and then there but then there are a whole bunch of people We would have a very difficult time doing that with oh, yeah. and and you're pointing out that Paul didn't even know them yet. He just knows of them in mm-hmm. the faith. Mm-hmm. And then he says, this truth is for all nations, for all people. Mm. So I consider myself a servant of all people that they might know this good news. And so I love them. I care for them. I'm eager to pray for them. I, I desire that they would know. And he says at the end of verse seven, grace to you and peace. Mm. And once we're in an understanding of, that this Jesus is the answer. We can trust him. He brings into reality everything that we long for by his grace, by his work for us. And we just place our faith in him and that salvation. And the outcome of that is we receive grace. Yeah, yeah. And in his grace, we receive peace. Yes, good. And I think these are two things right here in verse 7 that all of us want and all of us need. We need a whole lot more grace in our culture and our community. Yeah. And every single one of us is seeking, seeking peace, mm-hmm. and we're all restlessly trying to find it. Yeah. Right, absolutely. Uh, but it can only be found in Christ. And on that foundation, he follows up by saying, Man, I'm eager to get to you. I'm praying for you. I want us to disciple and pour into one another so that we can grow in the faith together, he says in verses 10, 11, and 12. And then he gets to where I want us to to end up. And, and that is verses 14 through 17. I think this sets the foundation for the rest of the book yeah. as we walk through it and how Paul addresses these things. So guys, in that truth, okay, what kind of life does that then allow us to live? And I think Paul reveals that in mm-hmm. these last couple of verses when he says, I'm under uh, obligation, I am eager, he says, "I'm not ashamed," and and he desire. He knows exactly what he desires to live for and to reveal. Mm-hmm. So, what kind of life does this truth that we've talked about, this peace from the grace of God, allow us to live?
1: Mm. I think about two words. I think about freedom mm-hmm. and purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that as as Paul is is bearing this out as he's talking about those things that you mentioned, it it, it just points to me that he's living a life that is um he's constrained to certain things but they are the things that bring ultimate freedom mm-hmm. and i think oftentimes we just get so constrained by things that enslave us mm-hmm. right we bind ourselves to things that ultimately don't produce life um and and they they just they they take from us and they take and they take and mm-hmm. Uh, Paul here is pointing to the fact that a life lived in the gospel, a gospel-centered life for use, for a word that we use around here, is one that is ultimately of great purpose, right? That we find that, and we say this a lot, that that like everything that we've been looking for is found in Christ. And that means that now my life, as I'm serving, as I'm you know, being a good dad or a good friend or a good husband or a good son or, or whatever it is, that we find great purpose and great freedom in that because it is not for us, right? It's not for us. It is we're the, the life that we now live is is for God. It's not just for our own selfish purposes that will try to enslave us. Uh, we're constrained and we are um, we are um, serving God, but in God, we find that freedom. And so I don't have to worry about being enslaved to something else that's not going to give me purpose. The thing that I'm binding myself to is the, my purpose. And in God, I find that um, that I can do all of the things that he has called me to do and the things that will ultimately bring me joy. Like you said, you mentioned that word peace. And there's there is a peace that comes over the life of the believer when you are, whether you're doing it well or you stumble through it, if you're doing what God's called you to do, there is a peace that comes and a rest that comes knowing that it is not ultimately up to you, but it's it's God's work in and through you. It
0: doesn't make it easy. No, no, it's (laughs) but it makes it good. Right, exactly.
2: Yeah. 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 I mean, so you know, Paul is able to, because he's found purpose and fulfillment. Uh, uh, through through Christ and he's received that grace and that peace. It, lives, it allows him uh, to live uh, openly and authentically in who God's created him to be, and he um, he can live with confidence. So in verse sixteen, when he says he's not ashamed, I mean that's just another way of saying I am confident. Yeah. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He he could also be saying, well, I am confident in the gospel. Yeah. Um, The word of shame there, one of the root words that make up that word actually means to to disfigure. And so Paul's saying I'm confident because I'm I'm I used to live a life uh, before I came into this grace of God. I I was trying to define myself by my intellectual ability in Paul's case, in my intellectual ability, the the people I related to in these kinds of things. We uh, we just know that about Paul. And then it was then trying to define himself by proving his rightness by persecuting those um, who believed differently than he did. And we see a lot of that, you know, in our culture today. Um, but what Paul is saying here when he says, I'm not ashamed, he's saying, but that was a dishonoring or really a, a a perversion of what God and how God has created me. But when I came into this gospel and began to see who it was that Christ made me, then when I found myself uh, in, uh, I found myself uh in salvation and being redeemed by his grace then i was able to fully realize who i was yeah. and what god's created me to uh, uh to be so 20 years ago uh, somebody wrote a book called the purpose-driven life you know it was all the rage in christian circles and outside and why you know but i remember the subtitle of that book is you know the purpose-driven life you know you know uh you know why on earth am i am i here And I think that's really, that's one of the drivers of of just the human heart. Mm. And so Paul has found that. So therefore, it allows him to live confidently. It allows him to be authentic. You know, uh, when he talks about his longing to see, you know, uh, and and to be with these people and how he's obligated to them and his great love for them, you know, I mean, here's a guy who was, uh, you wouldn't characterize him as being necessarily the most emotionally, a uh, vulnerable guy before he came to faith, mm. but he's, he's not scared to express himself. Yeah. And the reason why is because of the confidence, the peace and the grace that he's found
1: in the gospel. Yeah. I think the authentic, uh, the authenticity piece is something that I hear, you know, a lot and something that I myself am, you know, um, concerned with. I think that we want to be our true selves. You know, you hear that a lot. I, I need to live my truth, live my truth and yeah. know my truth and yeah. speak my truth and all that. And it's this idea that like, in Christ, you can be authentic. Like I can be vulnerable. I can be real mm-hmm. because there's a God that knows me, that that knows every single thing about me, and has has loved me perfectly. Mm-hmm. And there's that is the 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 warmth of that mm-hmm. is 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 life changing, right? Mm-hmm. To know that you are fully known and fully loved, man, that that changes the game, and that that really does kind of produce um, produce a confidence, like you were saying.
2: And when that's not tied to the gospel, as we've talked about before, then you're trying to divine yourself by something that is not complete, uh, something that is inadequate. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you find yourself in bondage and you can't be authentic because now what I'm trying to do is convince you of the rightness of what I what I believe. So therefore, I have to have my best argument and I have to be able to win the argument. Um, instead of just being able to stand in the truth, the grace of what I am yeah. through him.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think it it does bring a certain clarity, mm-hmm. right? And like single-mindedness yeah. when we know who we are in Christ. And, and I think, Matt, going back to something you were saying, like anytime we are coming to a conclusion of who we are, so we've got to kind of figure it out, there will always be an uncertainty in whatever conclusion we come to. Mm-hmm. But when the truth is revealed to us, and it has been displayed to us um, as as true then it can be certain and so there's this there's this certainty and clarity of knowing who we are without a shadow of a doubt when we are found in in christ and and defined by how god our creator has defined us and so there's this this unbelievable certainty in that and therefore you do feel this obligation to it like, and it's not like a, a, a burden obligation. Mm. Like Paul here is saying like, man, it's like, I have this, such a passion for this. Yeah. I have to do it. Yeah. And, and so it's that type of obligation. It's like, I can't not, you know? Right. Right. And, and so there's an excitement level in, in verse 14, this eagerness to preach. So it's like, man, I can't wait to do it. Yeah. It's all that I want to do. It's where I, I find um, my joy and my satisfaction in revealing the God who has made me all that I am mm-hmm. and, and being unashamed of it, uh, Charles, as you just said, I mean, like, how can I be ashamed of this? Right. I'm, I'm certain in it. Mm-hmm. And, and so because he knows who he is, he knows exactly what to do, and he has joy in that because all the peace is coming from God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the all the all the work is completed in him. And so he can live, Matt, and the freedom that you're talking about. Yeah. Do you guys have anything else to add? I
1: mean, I would just say that you know, there's there's a, there's a there is a prevailing anxiety in our culture. I feel like that there are a lot of folks who are who are just feel and understand and, and know that there is a that there is a heaviness and an anxiety in our culture, right? And, and fear is is has gripped our culture in, in many ways. And, and, you know, Paul is, is, is pointing out to us here that the only solution for that ultimately, for the ultimate anxiety in our souls is the gospel of Christ, mm-hmm. right? The only remedy for our culture, the anxiety in our culture, the fear in our culture is the gospel of Christ. Mm-hmm. That if we desire unity, if we desire peace, if we desire, you know, um, caring for one another in our, in our world, that, you know, we, we do long for that going back all the way back to what you were saying before. We do long for those things. I long for that, but I know that in my own strength that like, I can't do that. And, and I think that it's foolish for us to try to say that we could do it uh, ourselves. We must look to the one who has created us in order to see that, that Mm -hmm. in him, we can have peace, that we can have a, a, a life that is, that is confident and that is, like it feels like a deep breath. The gospel for me just feels like a deep breath that is comfort, you know, and and, and it gives us um, the answers to the questions that that our souls long for.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's good. You know, and, you know, I think, you know, what Paul is saying here as well, just to tag on what Matt is saying is here's the aspect of a setup of Paul's is saying, and, he, and we're going to see this when we jump into next week, uh, Paul's gonna to begin to, to, to dive into a lot of different issues and problems that they're experiencing in, in culture. Just like Matt is referring to, the, we have problems and issues we're dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the thing here is this, is that throughout all of human history, man has not been able to solve racism. Mm-hmm. Man has not been able to solve uh, one ethnic group rising up against another. We, we, that's, that is threaded uh, throughout human history. You always see one civilization rising up to try to conquer uh, another uh you always have you know the the haves uh persecuting the have-nots or the have-nots rising up against you know those who they believe have more than they do so my point being you see human conflict in every possible way mm. and it was present uh in Paul's times and present throughout human history so Paul says the only answer is the gospel yeah. and he's getting ready and and so he's setting it up mm, yeah. and, and and getting ready to to dive down into it And then once again, because uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Brandon, uh, this is truth because it answers beginnings. It's the it it answers how things can be restored and redeemed right now, but then also pitches towards a future.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That we all long for. And so I think, you know, as we look at this in chapter one, we're looking at in some ways, Paul's specific call, Mm. And But there's also much application for us yeah. in that we are created to know Christ. And Charles, as you just said, that we only find ourselves in Him. He, he is what makes everything else clear and begin to make the muddy waters clear in our lives yeah. and ultimately for all of eternity making us all that we were created to be. And also what we are to reveal with our lives. And so the gospel comes in and transforms our hearts And we no longer need to pursue or to gain or to to find a life. We have it all in the one who is unchanging and eternal and never-ending and and therefore we can begin to reveal who we are in Christ in everything that we do. Mm -hmm. And so once we have found the grace of God, the love of God, the the identity and worth and value that we were created to have in God, then we are obligated we want to we're passionate yeah. we're eager we're unashamed to live and reveal that to all of those who we know and then we begin to actually see a, a shift in the way that we relate to one another yeah. as we understand how to relate to god so next week as charles said uh, we dive into the deep waters but we needed that as the foundation and so that will be the foundation that we build upon and so we, we love you guys. Uh, we look forward to seeing you next week as we will finish up Romans chapter one. Y'all have a great week.